This is Patrick McDonough. Um, he is an artist who lives and works in DC, and um, we're going to have a few other artists throughout the course of the exhibition talking about Blinky Palermo as well, since um, he's always described as an artist's artist and very well known among um, artists and well respected and very influential. And a lot of the rest of us didn't know who he was <laughs> before you saw this show. So anyways, um, Patrick earned his MFA at George Washington University in 2010. And um, in addition to working as an artist, he's also an assistant director at Connor Contemporary Art here in DC. Um, his uh, recent solo shows include Rec Room, which was at Flashpoint uh, this fall. Um, he transformed the whole gallery space into a domestic space and um, in doing so questioned um, some of the distinctions between art and non-art and decoration and utility, um, which uh, Palermo is thinking a little bit about some of those issues as well. Um, and his next solo show opens in just a couple weeks at Civilian Art Projects um, on March 25th. So I will turn it over to him to talk about Blinky. Hi there. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, and there's obviously no podium, so just if I'm not making sense or you have any questions, just blurt out and interrupt me. Um, so yeah, when Jenny and I first started talking about me um, giving this talk on Blinky Palermo, we discussed um, exactly what she just said, this idea that Blinky Palermo is an artist's artist, and I, I find that to be a really interesting categorization, especially for this work, because um, to me it's really incredibly accessible and um, vulnerable work, but the, the sort of like categorization artist's artist seem to like mean that artists know something or like are cueing in on something that other people aren't. Um, and so I, I started just thinking, like, why was he an artist? artist? What does that mean? What does that mean for me as an artist? Um, and I, I came up with this um, idea that he's really laying fairly bare this, um, these notions of what it means to be an artist in the world and how one who gets called an artist or terms themselves an artist navigates the world, especially... Um, in capitalism of like the late 20th century till now. Um, so it's, it, the work to me is this really like treatise on this existential conundrum of being an artist. Um, and with that, especially, I mean, I don't know how much biography any of you know. Um, the catalog's really good at this, so if I just glare over it, please uh, forgive me. Um, but Blinky Palermo went to art school under Joseph Beuys in Germany in the early 60s. Um, and so with going to art school, especially under like a figurehead such as Joseph Beuys, you kind of have this immediate uh, anxiety of influence thing that starts happening, plus just existing in art history of the last 10,000 years. Um, so if you look around the show, you'll see... Um, glimmers of people like Rothko, Malevich, Mondrian. Um, but with Palermo's work, um, something that's important that, I think, that I'm picking up on is that he's not really running from these influences. He's not um, necessarily concerned with originality per se. Um, he's just sort of openly taking them on and, and taking them as a given, again, in the world. Um, and... and that process is pretty visible to us, I think. Um, 
And another portion of his practice, I think, um, that picks up on that is uh, this name change, this adopted identity thing that happens. Um, I need to look what he was named first. Um, he was born Peter Stoll. Um, him and his twin brother were uh, orphans, and they were adopted by a, a family in Germany named the Heisterkamps. Um, so that that's two names right there. And then under boys, uh, it, the, there's like a whole myth around how the Blinky Palermo name came into existence, whether boys suggested it or whether now Blinky Palermo uh, adopted it himself. Um, but that seems to me to be this real conscious uh, adopting of this performed identity. Um, and Blinky Palermo uh, was a like mobbed up boxing promoter of uh, Sonny Liston. Um, and there, there's like something to chew on there uh, in terms of this Americanophile-ness of Blinky Palermo and specifically like boxing. I mean, I think there's like some weird allegory to boxing going on with this work. Um, but that's, n that's neither here nor there. Um, okay, so once you are in the world as an artist, um, someone calls you an artist, you adopt that uh, moniker yourself, um, what do you do in the world, right? Um, and a, a pretty common thing is you make stuff, like you make things in the world. Um, but once you uh, decide to do that, um, you kind of have to decide how you're going to make these things that you've now decided to make. Um, and one option that Blinky Palermo obviously uh, incorporates is you do it all by yourself, right? You cut the panels, you make the, this piece behind everyone is called Blue Disc and Staff. Um, and all evidence points to the fact that Palermo cut that circle and that post and wrapped it in tape himself. Um, same with this piece, Butterfly 2, um, wood and fabric and paint, uh, Palermo likely doing all that by himself. So it's this single subject in the world making these things. Um, a, a, a second strategy, I guess you could say, is... Um, a kind of ordering or shopping. Um, again, getting back to this idea of like late 20th century capitalism is the, the marketplace. Um, and I don't know if we want to move to them or if I can just talk about them, but um, two galleries over are um, the cloth pictures, um, which are very, um, at their base level, store-bought fabric that Palermo arranged on the floor and then had someone else sew for him, and then he put them on a stretcher. Um, so that's really, again, going into the marketplace and buying or ordering things and then calling them art, for lack of a better term. Um, and the third um, model, I guess you could say, is something that's much more frequent at this point in contemporary art is the um, small business model, I guess, where you have assistants, you have um, people under you where you're sort of the, the CEO of this operation. Um, but I, I, I don't really see Palermo adopting that at all. Um, so that's a, a kind of refusal of that option, in a sense. Um, okay, so once you've now made these things in the world, they, uh, they're probably sitting around your studio. Um, what, what, what happens to them? Um, and 
the first thing that all artists, I guess, hope happens is they get shown in a gallery. Um, so they, they start this life um, separate from their maker. Um, and the, the cloth pictures returning to those, um, I think, are a, an important moment for him because that's where, uh, again, commerce starts to come in because I think they, those were really popular pictures for people to acquire um, uh, and put in their house. And so um, you kind of, as an artist, have to deal with that um, portion of, or I guess that thing happening to what you've made is someone buying it and now owning it. Um, and so I guess that those pictures likely ended up in uh, people's houses. Um, they, not all of them went to institutions, I'm guessing. Um, and so this domestic uh, decoration element of uh, especially abstraction, I think, is something that he's really wrestling with in all of these uh, objects. Um, in the, the next gallery over, uh, he is documentation from a series of uh, wall paintings that he executed, um, which I think are real uh, consolidations of this idea of decoration, uh, especially in terms of abstraction. Um, I mean, in the, the middle, late 20th century, I think um, artists were still grappling with the, the radical potentials of abstraction, um, with decoration being this maybe uh, derogatory term in a sense, something to avoid that made it like non-art in a sense. Um, but I think especially with those wall paintings, Palermo is really picking up uh, and, and again taking it on uh, head-on uh, this, this notion that abstraction and decoration sort of exists simultaneously and um, it's a, a, a potential uh, strategy to uh, utilize. Um, and then I guess going back to this kind of like life cycle of objects, um, once they are in a gallery, uh, they sell, they don't, um, you take them back, or maybe uh, you have a retrospective installed of your work. Um, but there's like this logistical uh, thing that happens um, that I think Palermo is interested in as well. Um, I picked up on it in this piece. Um, I don't know how close we can get without the alarm going off, but right under that wing, um, there's like a pencil marked cross um, that's a mark of the piece being installed by a preparator. Um, and so I think the work really rewards this kind of um, close looking and thinking about uh, the machinations of how things live, um, whether, whether the art is still art while it's being installed, um, that sort of element of its life. Um, Palermo was also pretty uh, unafraid to destroy a lot of his work. Um, I think the, the cloth pictures, he destroyed a series of them uh, that he deemed the colors just not right anymore. Um, and so I think that's really interesting to think about how art objects might uh, perish. Um, again, going back to the, the wall paintings, um, they, they were all temporary. They were put up for uh, an exhibition and then they were painted over. Um, and so those, that documentation is our relic of, um, in a sense, the passing of those works. 
Um, and I think the, 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 the fourth sort of rubric of how um, the art, how navigating the world as an artist um, is present in this work is how um, meaning gets constructed. So once the, the work is made and then meets the world in an exhibition, um, how does it start to take on meaning? Um, and I think Palermo was very cognizant of that fact in his, uh, in the titling of the works. He wasn't especially metaphorical or allegorical with the titles. Again, Blue Disc and Staff is just, for the most part, describing the actuality of what that object is. Um, this piece right above us is called uh, Blue Triangle Above a Door. Um, that's what it is. Um, uh, almost all of the cloth pictures remain untitled. Um, a couple of them are just called the colors that they are. Blue slash green is one that I'm remembering off the top of my head. Um, and again, I think meaning comes back to this means of production that I was touching upon um, at the outset, this making it by yourself or going out and ordering it and ordering the fabrication. Um, these things all assemble uh, into meaning. Um, but I think that that, I guess, maybe cycles back to this uh, artist-artist um, conundrum because uh, I've heard, I've talked with people who think this works really difficult, and I think that um, a portion of that might be how it sits kind of outside language. Um, it's really hard to articulate with words what we're experiencing. Um, but I think it, and, and I'm not quite sure if it's pre-language, if it's post-language, or if it's just non-language, but I think that it's, um, it, it, it's something between all of those things. Um, but again, that's really, how do you articulate that sort of meaning? Um, I'm not sure. So, I think that's all I had prepared. Um, are, th are there any questions? Yes. Um, I think that for me, it's, uh, I, I, Jenny alluded to it, I'm really interested in this, uh, this element of decoration um, and how that exists alongside or within an art practice um, because it, it, almost any thing you produce as an artist has the potential to be used decoratively by someone else. Um, and again, it, it's something that I think a lot of artists have to grapple with. Uh, how does that relate to what you're doing? Um, and that, that, that's existing in the same object that you probably have other ideas about, and that's a really weird thing. Um, but I think that what I'm really drawn to with Palermo's work is this, uh, 
the way that he's laying this, this existentialness really forward in a really vulnerable way, I think, because he's, I mean, these objects are pretty modest for the most part. They're really um, hypothetical in, like, the scientific method sense, you know? He's just, like, he's trying things, and he doesn't seem all that certain, but that's okay, um, because it, all, it is just a, a trial and error attempt at navigating the world. Um, well, my favorite pieces in the show are, um, the wall paintings. Um, I wish I could see one, um, because I think that there's a really remarkable, um, synthesis of this decorative notion of this, like, even labor, you know, artist as executor of house paint on a wall. Um, as far as works that we can actually see, um, I think this piece is my favorite. Um, I think for similar reasons, um, the, the systematic execution of it, um, the really dry, um, straightforward titling of it, um, again, this kind of like anxiety of influence with this Klein blue kind of thing. Um, so yeah. Um, I think he, well, I think that's interesting. It goes back to this idea of how things get made. Um, I think he did almost all of them himself, um, if not all of them. Um, and I'm pretty certain that he, rather than using a roller, he used just a really wide house painter's brush, which I think um, was potentially him wanting to link back to sort of canvas painting um, or individual singular object painting. Um, but I'm not sure what, I, I think he wanted to always do them himself, so hence. Yeah, but that's again like with this uh, little addition that's in the rotunda, mm -hmm. um, again, him relating to uh, commerce, right? Like do, making this addition of 50 of stencils with the blue paint that's like really being pretty accepting of artists and capitalism existing or needing, like not having a, a way to exist separately, I guess. Um, yeah, I, do, I think he is like a really early slacker artist. Um, and I think that my take again to uh, fold it back into my earlier comments, um, it, it, it's a way of making, right? It's, it's a refusal of um, virtuosity or uh, much skill. I mean, there's, there's a lot of just 
him again executing a system. The blue disk and staff, he like has these forms. And the, the, the disk in this case is pretty round, perfectly round, I guess, but the gray disk a few galleries over is like very clearly not concerned with exact geometry. Um, and then he's just wrapping it. It's really like um, he's not doing a whole lot and that's not necessarily a statement on what, on the, again, the meaning of what he's doing, but he's just not, these, these objects don't seem especially toiled over. Um, and I, I talked to um, a friend of mine whose husband is German and he said that in Germany, Blinky Palermo is really known as like the first hipster artist, which I think fits nicely with this like slacker kind of thing. Um, because there is this mystique of him, he seems really cool. Um, but I think the, as far as the lineage of that uh, slacker um, kind of art, it, it, it immediately to me, the most recent, uh, I guess, proponents of that are people like Joe Bradley in New York, um, where he's putting drop cloths from his studio on stretchers and putting them up or um, really haphazardly stretching monochromatic uh, painted canvas into these like robot forms. Um, and it seems, I mean, it seems to be a most frequent like white straight male way of working and I don't know how, I haven't thought of that with Palermo but maybe that also folds back in. Um, but again, I think it, it, it's this anxiety of trying to figure out how to, how to make things, how to, how to exist, what, what's the, the right way to behave as an artist. Um, and again, I think he's just trying. There's no solutions in this show, I don't think. Um, well, I guess, in a sense, a refusal to participate is a way of participating. Um, I'm from Wisconsin, and so right now uh, I'm thinking a lot about this sort of stuff. Like, I have friends who just started this, like, solidarity group uh, in Madison. Um, but it's really... I don't... I grapple with this, too. I mean, I... I I read something about uh, academia and how someone said they'd rather uh, learn from a teacher who made really bad watercolors but was really activist in their personal life against maybe the machinations of tenure track or something than have someone really complicit in that making activist seeming art. Um, but I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> It's a really hard question, though. Like, yeah. Well, it's especially interesting since you're studying with Joseph Boyce, mm -hmm. and Joseph Boyce was so involved with mm -hmm. politics and political performance, uh -huh. even lost his job yeah. because of that. So it's a conscious decision, it seems to me, to do, to do something like 
I mean, I think that, like, but again, um, Jenny talked about my work in terms of use value, and I think that, um, like, current social practice trends and even, like, political activist art lineage is maybe, in a sense, a desire for, like, art to be useful in some sense. Um, yeah, I mean, artists I, and art participants, like all of us, seem to, like, want art to have this, like, political legs, but maybe that's not what it's for. Maybe it, like, it does something else in the world so that we can be politically activist also. Um, I don't know. I mean, Glenn, you and I have talked about this, I think, but um, art mediating the activism, like, if you're starting a community garden, why does it have to be art? Why can't it just be a community garden? Like, it's like cultural capital, right? Like. Mm -hmm. I saw your installation. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, I think that, again, this, like, it, to me that question's about intent, because I think that um, he, he intended it as one work, um, and so it is, I guess. Um, but I think Palermo is an interesting artist to talk about intent with, because he, he didn't really talk about the meaning of his work very frequently, if at all. Um, and I think that that helps us with the work. I mean, I think that maybe that's, again, where some of this difficulty comes from, is because people, I think, really reflexively want to go to the artist and say, tell me what this means. But again, in the world, I don't know that that's how objects' meaning gets constructed, um, or it's not it's not fair to the objects to refer solely to the artist. Um, but in terms of like presentation, I think intent is important. So like he says it's one work, just because it's many disparate objects, that's, I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> my Flashpoint show was all discrete objects though, intentionally. Thank you. <laughs>